You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Tonight in Hebrews, yet again, we're in the 11th chapter. We're to a great set of exhortations. Uh, on based on faith because we have received those things greater and better in Christ. The better promises, the better covenant, the better mediation, the better sacrifice. As we saw last week uh, in chapter 10, uh, we saw the uh, uh, new and living way and um, all of those things uh, which uh, we have confidence, it says, to enter the holy place through the blood of Jesus. And then an exhortation was given uh, regarding uh, those who would were not living by faith. And there was a stern warning saying that we are not to throw away our confidence, in which is a great reward, verse 35. And verse 36 said, you have a need of endurance. So when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then the quote from Habakkuk, for yet in a little while, he who is coming will come. And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then the Hebrew writer comments upon that, saying, But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And so let us be those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And that brings us now into. Uh, chapter 11, in which we find the lives of many of those uh, who were thus uh, so faithful. Uh, We have uh, a long chapter in the 11th chapter because the Hebrew writer brings up a great number of faithful people. Uh, He says about faith, first on the nature of faith, verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith. Now the examples begin from the very beginning. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, and God testifying about his gifts, And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness before his being taken up that he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God of things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien, in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
fellow heirs of the promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she was considered or considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was one born of one man and him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as are the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without having received the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. If indeed they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he received him back as a type. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Jacob and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, even though they saw, or because they saw, he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, 
They were tempted. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Quite the thing there. Quite the list. Quite the set of stories. We'll tonight do our best to take the first half of this long uh, section on faith in one study. Uh, we know that every one of these people mentioned uh, could be a Bible series for an evening, a Bible study, be a series of studies for multiple evenings. But the Hebrew writer gives us this list, each with a brief synopsis, if any at all, or maybe just a litany of names to, by their very name, recall what they did. He gives us all of this to make a singular point, the life of faith. These people have uh, such a hold in our minds, in our hearts, in our histories, in our stories. It's so stirring to read of them and a brief description of their accomplishments because they were all faithful to God. If any of these people had not been faithful to God, there would not be a story to tell. There would not be uh, this ringing endorsement given. There would not be uh, this uh, uh, movement uh, that we would feel uh, in dealing with them and uh, thinking about uh, their stories. And so we have all of this to make a singular point on faith. A few doctrinal points on faith are made along the way, but it is uh, the singular lesson of faith. And so in, in this uh, Hebrews 11, I'm reminded of the artistic style. It's called pointillism. Now, I had to look that up for my vocabulary word for today, pointillism. It's where uh, art is made out of a lot of little dots, right? The artist makes a lot of little dots. Some are bigger than others. But when you step back and you see the whole picture, it's, it's a, a picture of its own. It, it's a, it, uh, a sometimes very detailed picture. But if you really drill down, what you'll see is it's made up of individual dots. And so uh, individual points. So that's why it's called pointillism. Well, Hebrews 11 is that. We could look at every little point. We, at each point is uh, amazingly well-placed little thing in itself. But when we draw back and we see the entirety of the picture, that's when we really get the full impression of the work. And it is a work of faith. And so every one of these people and incidents that are mentioned, uh, these are the uh, people and incidents that are, uh, you know, we teach our children from the youngest age in the Bible picture books. Uh, these are the people uh, who will be headliners in the week of vacation Bible school. Uh, these will be uh, people that those who don't know the scripture well will know because these are the big ones, but they're all there because of one simple thing. They're all there because of faith. So we start with a explanation really about the nature of faith. Verses one to three. And we find it to be our assurance, our conviction, our way of approval, and our way of understanding. So that's what faith will be. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
and the conviction of things not seen. So it's the substance of a thing that we want, but we don't have yet. But we believe it. We trust in it. And uh, verse 1, if and I remember having trouble with this uh, as a child, understanding this verse, because uh, this verse on a couple of occasions in my upbringing uh, was made a memory verse for me. And I didn't quite get what verse 1 was saying. And then when I started to understand it, I thought, well, it's just saying the same thing twice. There must be something I'm missing. Well, I was missing something. It's called Hebrew parallelism. It's a form of Hebrew poetry in which two statements, which are largely identical, are said back to back to emphasize a point. And so verse 1 says the same thing twice. What's the difference between our assurance and our conviction? Well, not a, not a lot. What's the difference before or between things we hope for, uh, we expect to see them, but we haven't seen them yet, and things aren't seen? Well, again, that's it's the same thing. So it, it is a repetitive statement in verse 1, but in the classic form like the Psalms or the Proverbs of some kind of Hebrew poetry. It's a parallelism. And so the things that we most hope for in life, and the things that we might be most actually assured of in life are things of faith. We talk about at times, you know, as sure as the ground I'm standing on, or as sure as the sun will come up tomorrow, or as sure as the sky is blue. Well, all of those are truisms. The ground is pretty sure, isn't it? Of course, I, I know there's a day of an earthquake, but there'll be a day when this, uh, you know, the, the, the earth is not there. The sky is blue. Well, some days it comes up kind of red or gray, uh, but, you know, the sky is blue. But there'll be a day when there won't be a blue sky. There'll be a day when there'll be no sky, right? Uh, the sun will come up. Well, one day it won't. But the things of faith will last even then. They, the things of faith are the surest of things and the things that we're most convinced and convicted of because we live a life of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. By it, verse 2, men of old gained approval. I usually tell you the King James when I like the old language and the clarity of it. Although in this case, I'll tell you the King James because I don't like it so much. The King James here says, the elders obtained a good report. Okay, well, that's true. And if we understand it contextually, what elders mean, and we understand what kind of report we're mentioning, it is a good report from God <laughs> that God counts them worthy. Yes, but uh, the newer translation here does us much better. Men of old gained approval. And that's where the Hebrew writer is going to start. He's going to start with the men of old. We're going to have the faithful ancients. And then we're going to have the faithful, faithful patriarchs. In next week's study, we're going to have the faithful who lived under Moses and his law. And so we're going to start with the old, and we're going to work toward the new. And the Hebrew writer is going to say, hey, I'm running out of time here. And this is where all the preachers say, yes, sir, we know the feeling. But this is also, in verse 3, an important thing. It's by faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of that which is visible. So now this is where the older translations, the visible was made out of the invisible. There was once a time, you go back, and the Big Bang Theory people agree with this, there was once a time when all that we see wasn't here. Now they think somehow some... Um, Something caused everything, but they have no idea what that something that caused everything is, but they think there was a point in time in which there was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was everything. 
Of that in sequence, they are right. There was a time when there was nothing physical, and then everything just jumped into existence. And I know when that was. Now, I may not know it exactly on the calendar. Their calendar keeps getting longer. I think they're up to about 14 and a half billion years. Uh, when I was younger, it wasn't quite as many as 14 billion years. So while I've been alive, the earth has gotten a couple of billion years older. And, you know, sometimes I feel that in my bones. But uh, they, they, they keep pushing the, the clock back and trying to set a clock on it as though the, the clock is the important thing, which it's not. Uh, but the clock was, I think, the scriptures are firm quite a bit uh, more recent than that. But in any case, no, the, the big cause of it was God speaking. And God said. And what was there when God said? Well, there was light. There was the sun, the moon, the stars. There was the earth. Uh, and then uh, there was a division of land and water. And then there was all the creatures which teemed the earth. And there's all the things of which uh, uh, God made and fashioned and formed. And how do we know that God made those things? Well, we go to our science class and they want to keep telling us, oh, don't believe those old stories. We got a better story for you. Well, what they're really doing is they're attacking faith. And many people do lose their faith in freshman science. And it shouldn't be. Our faith should protect us. Our faith should tell us uh, that it was made by God. But at the end of the day, that is how I know these evolutionary folks are wrong. They tell me a story that doesn't comport with the Bible. And by faith, I know that all the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, and they exist by the Word of God. And when His purpose is finished with them, they will cease to exist, and it'll all be in that regard as it once was. And then we who are with God will be back with Him if we have gained, as it said in verse 2, His approval by faith. So now, in verse 4, we, we start with the faithful ancients. Going back to the very first generation of people born, we have Abel. We don't have any stories of the faith of Adam. I, I knew myself kind of probably think he's probably a, a man who knew God and, and uh, kept the ways of God. Uh, there is a statement of faith uh, of his wife, of Eve, uh, when she spoke about getting a man-child with the health, help of the Lord. But not much is said about the life of faith or lack, life of disobedience after the garden, except in the children. So in the children we have, of course, the story of Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, verse 4 of Genesis 4 as well. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through faith, though dead, he still speaks. Well, certainly he would be dead either way by now, right? Uh, nobody's going to live that long. But we have the record of his death. And he is the first martyr, having lived and worshipped by faith. And his brother did not. And he was approved of God. And his brother was not. And so we know that his brother slew him. Uh, so he obtained the testimony that he's righteous. Uh, the, you know, the just shall live by faith. Here's a man who's one action recorded in Scripture, and one of the last that he had upon the earth, because we don't think it was a great amount of time between his worship and his death, uh, that God accepted his gifts. God accepted uh, his worship and offering, and because of that, he was killed. And so there is the first death of man recorded in the Scripture. 
and he died because he was faithful. He didn't live those centuries that others before the flood did. He died because he was faithful, and yet he got the better part, did he not? Right? And he being dead still speaks. And so Abel is ever with us. The name of Abel is ever remembered and honored. And Abel, the person, has forever been with God. And so from the beginning, the faith has been the way to live, and the faith has been the way, faith has been the way to be approved of God. Then we have a few generations later, another before the flood. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Uh, that is uh, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. He walked with God and was not, for God took him. And so God testified about Enoch that this is a faithful man. He was taken up to heaven. Only he and Elijah uh, were the, ever uh, had that privilege that God spared them of death and took them directly uh, up uh, to be with him. And so we think about that world of sin that was becoming that terrible thing which God would send the flood to destroy. And God spared him of those things. And he lost about five or 600 years of life as those uh, people before the flood were living because he was taken up at only uh, the young age of 365. But uh, uh, still, he got the better part. And most of us would ask, if, if God were to send uh, you know, the, the flaming chariot and say, I will take you today if you'll just but get in. How many of us would say, yes, well, where do I get the ticket? Well, you, the ticket is by faith, uh, if you were going to get one. Uh, but how many of us would, would, uh, would take that uh, immediate reward? Well, he had it because of the great faith by which he walked. So the Hebrew writer has one more comment here on faith at this point. He says in verse 6, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. That assumes that we want to please God, right? And, and the people who are in the, uh, the churches hearing this letter and the people to whom this message would be taken saying, hey, we've got a message you should hear. You should come to, uh, come to church with us uh, or uh, hear uh, one of the brothers is going to tell you the message that we just got. Uh, it's, it, it assumes that there's an interest in pleasing God. There's, uh, there, there should be in men an interest in pleasing God. Of course, we know from Romans 8 that those who are of the flesh, they cannot please God. And many of them uh, don't care about it at all. They know they're condemned in that way. They just want to ignore it and move on and enjoy as much of this existence as they can. And we think, oh, what a dreadful, dreadful uh, aspect and, and view of life. But if we want to please God, which should be our very aim, we must uh, have faith. We must come to him. And the first thing in faith is we must, it says, believe that he is. We must believe that he is. And, and sometimes I think maybe we uh, set requirements of how we, if we consider a person faithful or not, and we base it on a, a hundred things of performance, and we base it on uh, you know, uh, many days uh, of a person's life, some, some of them which are not good days for them, in which they have been weak and tired and downtrodden and beat down. And notice in this list of the people of faith, you know, it does include people like Samson. And you think about Samson, you read the whole story of Samson in the scripture and how many of his days were faithful days. Uh, but he always knew that God was. And he, in the end, he, he did truly and fully act upon that. 
But in any case, I do think we sometimes uh, over-explain faith and and put demands uh, and restrictions to what we would consider faithful, maybe even at times beyond what God would. But notice where uh, faith begins. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And uh, he is a rewarder of those that seek him. Do we believe that he is, and are we trying to please him? That is a definition of faith from one of these most important passages here that summarizes faith that I think many would want to add a lot more to. They might offer, you know, of course they'd add an attendance requirement, which come to the services. Please come to the services. Don't skip the services. We already covered that back in chapter 10. But, but people would add a lot more requirements possibly than just but this. We know that he is, and we are going to seek him. And so let us seek him uh, for uh, who he is, what he is to us. We don't have to seek him directly for the reward. If, if we are seeking him, the reward will more than take care of itself. It'll be much more, I think, than we uh, probably can even imagine he would give. But let's start with these, all that firm conviction always that he is and that he appreciates and rewards being sought. And make that the, the guidepost, seeking God in our decisions, not in a you know performance of, well, what does you know what would God let me get away with here? Or, you know, I've done this for him, I've built up some credit, so now I can slide a while, right? I, I've had a faithful year. Now I, I, I'm going to have a little, uh, you know, summertime. I'm going to have a little uh, off time of of not uh, not serving him, right? Because you know, if I work at my job hard enough, they give me some days off, right? And and is that how we think of a relationship with God? You know, I've served him for this many weeks. I think it's time for a bit of time off, a little bit of time time for a little J time. Well, no, <laughs> it's not that. But also, it's that's a pretty uh, terrible and almost certainly a way of, of to reach burnout to think about serving him. Here he is God, and those who seek him will be rewarded. All right, so then we have uh, the continuation of the faithful ancients. We have uh, three chapters of Genesis uh, all summed up in one verse. And if you didn't believe the Bible was inspired before now, if you've ever heard any preachers talk about Noah, and you could have all three chapters of uh, uh, Genesis 6. Well, it's 6 through 9, so maybe that's a little more than three chapters. But uh, you have three and a half chapters boiled down into one sentence. And if that's not a sign of inspiration, I don't know what is. Because I've never heard a preacher speak about Noah who didn't but go on for 15 or 20 minutes. So the, the summary by inspiration of Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God about things yet not yet seen, we don't think it had rained we honestly don't think it had rained before the flood, and yet he hears of a flood that's coming. In reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his house, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And so he believed what God said. And we'll note in all of these, uh, this is you know the hall of fame of the faithful, but this is one of the most uh, thoroughgoing chapters on obedience of all the Scripture. Right, because in the scriptural view, there is no um, conflict between faith and works. Now, there are places where faith and works are contrasted, 
But that's where people are doing things uh, not uh, in the way that God intended. Uh, they're trying to do it as though they could do that instead of faith. I think that's the problem with so much of those uh, who had built up a righteousness of their own derived from the law. It wasn't the law, but something derived from the law. There's those who have these performance-based systems today. And, you know, it's, it's not so much what you uh, uh, believe or in whom you trust, but just what you do. And th that is not right, and that is not true. Um, but here we see what obedience does, and this is one of the great chapters on obedience because uh, faith, real faith works, right? So much of the conflict that people have between faith and works as well should have one or the other. But what you'd have is you should have a faith that works. It works the works of God, not the works of men, obviously, the works of the flesh, not the works of the law and the old system, but the works of God, whatever it is that God would instruct. So Genesis 6, beginning, uh, we find about the wickedness of the world. We find out about the faithful man who built the ark of gopher wood. We find that he built it large enough to take uh, the selection of animals uh, to carry on the animals. And then uh, there was a flood of the earth that wiped out everything that breathed. And so if you didn't have gills, you needed to be on the ark. And Noah built the ark and he saved his house. He condemned the world. And so in, in a way, that's what we, I think, in a increasingly secular and hostile to the religion of God society have to do is understand that our faithfulness by itself condemns them. And there are the, the unfaithful are always saying, and uh, the unrighteous are saying, why are you always condemning me? It's like, man, I didn't try to do anything. I didn't say anything about you. No, but our very faithfulness is a condemnation of them. They feel it in their conscience. They, they feel it in their bones that they know they shouldn't be this ungodly. And as long as everybody else is equally ungodly, why then everybody can feel you know reasonably well about it. But when somebody doesn't live that way, it's cutting to them, even if that's not our intent, even if that's not our purpose, uh, but it is because it's a demonstration of righteousness among the unrighteous. No, but Noah who did this and those today who do the same would have this blessing of Genesis 6-8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, then we go on to the faithful patriarchs. By faith, Abraham. So we get the man who's called, and Acts uh, 7 speaks about him coming, uh, receiving the call of God from Ur the Chaldees. He uh, leaves that uh, advanced and uh, urban society, uh, which is somewhere near the head of the Persian Gulf, uh, is now uh, that uh, he went to Canaan. Uh, he left all behind. Uh, he uh, lived in a place where God said, I'll show you, and he was an alien there. Now, we know one time he needed to bury some family members, had to buy some land. Uh, he lived quite prosperously there as God richly, richly blessed him, but still uh, for 100 years, because he was called when he was 75, and he died at 175, because after the flood, the lifespans were rapidly decreasing. But uh, he, it says, dwelt in tents. So for 100 years, uh, one of the richest men in the world, as God had so richly blessed him, he lived in tents. Now, I bet it was a nicer tent than I stayed in this last week, but still it was a tent. And still it had the things uh, that went with that. So uh, dwelt in tents. Then it mentions the fellow heirs of the same promise. So we have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all receiving that promise that 
uh, God would be their God, uh, their descendants would be his people, uh, not till after uh, the time of Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel and the 12 sons, do we start multiplying this into a great number of people? Because even as late as uh, you know the, the time of going to Egypt, there was only 75 in the whole uh, clan. Now, of course, they come out millions strong, but they went into 75. And so this whole time, while these men, uh, Abraham first, but the others as well, uh, lived in tents, they were the heirs of this great promise, and they were looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So they were looking for what we are, a heavenly city, a, a place beyond this, a place uh, so much better. And so I think you know, living in tents would be uh, emblematic of the fact that, hey, this is not our home. I didn't get too terribly uh, upset this week when a number of the things in my tent, which is you know, it, it's a little bit older, uh, a couple of things in my tent wore out. I had a couple of poles that broke. I had a had an issue also with my cot with a big tear in it. It's like, oh well, you know, I'll be home in a couple of days. Uh, now, the, what if my house though? I make my house my you know full home and my full treasure, and I'm always worried about that. Well. No, what if though heaven is my home? Why, then I don't have to worry about having the biggest and nicest houses. Some people, you know, they get in a house competition. Some people get in a car competition. No matter what it is that we can have, somebody's in a competition about it. And sometimes we'll even take them to contest and have them judge, right? Then we can take home and we can have our trophy go, see, mine was the best one. See, I've got, the, I've got this medal, this plaque, this certificate. Uh, this trophy, this emblem that says I'm better than you. No, I, I mean, they, they awarded me this thing, you know. No, we, we make a competition of everything. Well, we set our hearts on these things, and they take our time and attention. What if we set our heart and our attention upon God and the city of God? So then we come to Sarah, one of the women in the list. It's, it's not Faith is not just a manly occupation. It's also a feminine occupation. So even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So we do wonder, you know, Sarah was given the ability to conceive uh, when she was 90 years old, way past childbearing age. If she had not been a person of faith, uh, would God have granted her that promise? But she, as well as her husband, they believed uh, in the promise of God uh, that the covenant he had made uh, would come true uh, with them. So, uh, therefore, if it was born to one man, and him as good as dead, because he's a hundred and his wife is ninety, uh, as many uh, descendants as the stars are in heaven. And so, how many Jews now have there been uh, since Isaac? And then, not just Jews, but the spiritual Israel, uh, those who are by faith are children of of God through Abraham, and those First uh, Peter three the daughters of Sarah by faith. How many of them are there? And so both of physical and spiritual descendants, these descendants all coming through the child of promise, as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. And every now and again, this is one of the things that is safe to Google. There's a lot of things not safe to put into the search engine. But you can Google things like, how many stars are there? And the last time... Uh, I, I, I looked, I, I, somebody had figured out a number. And then also, um, you know, there are people who calculate well, how much sand is on the beach. 
right? How many grains and in a liter, they've actually counted, you know, small amounts. And then they extrapolate how many, you know, how deep is the sand on how many miles of beach and how, how, and, and okay, come on. Uh, but how, just in numerous, innumerable uh, uh, descendants uh, uh, and all over the world and, and for all time. And so these things came because they believed in the promise. But though they had a great reward themselves, and eventually, notice verse 13, all these died in faith. So they lived in faith and they died in faith without receiving the promises. The big promises were always for the future. We're their future. We're the recipients of their promises. They saw them and they welcomed them from a distance. Right? What did Jesus say? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it by faith and he was happy for it. They were happy for what was coming. They lived as strangers and exiles on the basis of the future benefit in the things of God. Those who live this way, verse 14, say, uh, make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. If indeed they've been thinking of the country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. You live in a tent for 100 years, there would have been days to go to a nice house, right? They, they, knew, where how, they knew where people lived in houses. Uh, they knew where people you know, lived in cool places by, by springs that uh, uh, you know, flowed out of mountainsides. And, and, and like, they could have gone there. And they could have built something, but they stayed in the place where God said, looking for what God would build. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I, th I think about that statement, not just that God has prepared something great for them, but it says he's not ashamed to be called their God. I think about all the things in this world where people have put God's name on it and people call it by God's name. And I think they so often violate the first commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain. I don't think that's talking about profanity necessarily, although don't use profanity. That would certainly violate the commandment. But, but they, they call God's name on a thing and ask God to bless a thing and act like this is the thing of God and the work of God. And it's something terrible or stupid. Or, or pointless, or, or anti-scriptural in so many ways. And he's like, what does God think about his name being, you know, sewn on the lapels of those people's jacket? What does God think about his name being painted on the sign over the interest of that place? And these people, they lived in such a way that God, the God of heaven, gladly had his name associated with them. He put his name with them, said, these are my folks. And he let them uh, call upon him and invoke him and ask him them to uh, ask him to help them, and he did for generations. Why? Because they were faithful. So then we have a great example of faith. Again, one of these we all know it from vacation Bible school and picture books. That by faith Abraham, who when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son. And so that which God did. In Christ, uh, he had asked Abraham to do, and Abraham willingly offered him. We know that that offering was stopped at the last moment. Uh, Abraham thought, well, he'll raise him from the dead, right? I know that my descendants are going to be by Isaac. If Isaac dies, that can't happen. And God asked me to put Isaac to death by sacrifice, but I, it'll be okay. Uh, God will raise him from the dead. And so he offered him. 
And he received him back as a type, or the King James, as a figure. Uh, He was tied to the altar. He was as good as dead. He was being offered. And God says, I know you trust me now. Have your son back. And then, of course, in Christ, what we've noted is God did his own son, we sing in the hymn, his own son not sparing, right? He had Christ to die for us. So uh, the the type of uh, love and trust and consideration for others that Abraham was asked to show, God did truly show in the uh, work, the death of Christ. Then we go to the next generation, Isaac, the child of promise. He blessed Jacob and Esau regarding things to come. And so here again, we see just what, compared to some of these other things like building an ark, offering your own son, uh, living in a tent for 100 years, uh, you know, if you had to select, okay, everybody, we're, we're going to assign a task in which you need to be faithful. Uh, some of you guys are going to draw out, uh, offer your children. Uh, some of you guys are going to draw out uh, tents for 100 years. Tell your wife, it'll be okay. Uh, some of you guys uh, are going to pull out, uh, bless your children. Uh, some of you guys are going to pull out, uh, leave your country. And what's everybody saying? Give me, bless my children. Give me, bless my children, Right. That that looks, well, uh, kind of paltry. Uh, looks like not much compared to what was there before. But it, again, it's a trust in God for the future. It's a trust in the promises of God. And Jacob, and uh, then we'll come to Joseph as well as we end, they, in very similar ways, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped and he leaned on the top of his staff. That's not all of it. In Genesis 48, he blessed all his children. But he blessed those children of Joseph in particular. And he, uh, if you remember, Manasseh, so that's how we have the half-tribes. And he worshiped, leaning on his staff. So he was too old to stand up up uh, straight. Uh, he had his uh, staff. Today, you know, you'd have a cane for that. Uh, he, he, the old man, near his death, he's propped up. He's still worshiping God. He's still thinking about his children, his grandchildren, and the future of his people. And sometimes that's all we can do, right? Uh, how many of us, well, a uh, kid could build an ark. I'm glad that's not in the you know cards today to do that. Uh, we're probably not going to be asked to build an ark. Uh, we might or might not be asked to be martyred. Uh, we uh, depends on how things are going today down you know the Civic Square. But uh, um, we might. Uh, just need to uh, instill faith in the children. Teach them uh, to look at these promises and trust in God. And so as Jacob, as he was dying, he blessed the children in worship. So then Joseph as well, even though he'd been a government official for all those years, even though uh, he had saved uh, his brethren who had betrayed him, all the faithful uh, things in the life of Joseph, uh, uh, turning down uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, doing so uh, good a work in so many different places. What's mentioned is his faithful act. When he was dying, he made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. So for all the prospering he did in Egypt, Egypt wasn't home. The only reason it might be somewhat home is because the family had come to join him. But he knew the family had a future someplace else. And he said, when y'all go, take me with you. And so we know the Egyptians knew how to make mummies. What'd they do? 
they took him uh, with them. And so uh, he was embalmed and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. But his burial would later be in the promised land. All right, well, that's the first half of all of these faithful lives. And what an encouragement to us and in ways grand and big and yeah, worthy of the special day of vacation Bible school. We have these faithful acts, but also how do we end? Worshiping, blessing, giving instruction to the next generation, these simple daily things that they would have done so often, but all of it was in faith. So the faithful life of those who believe in God and they seek after God. There's the first half of our study. Lord willing, next week, part two. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.